We started a series last week called Storms, but still raining. And so if you were here, we explained when it's talking about raining, it's not R-A-I-N, rain, but R-E-I-G-N, rain, or raining, or ruling. In other words, storms come to people's lives. Nobody is exempt from storms. Uh, Whether you're a Christian, you know, I wish people would have told me that before I got saved or right away. Not that it would have exempted me from being saved, but at least I would have recognized, you know, because I thought, well, if you got the Lord, everything turned perfect, you know, and it's like, woo-hoo. And um, somebody should have said amen. But, um, But if you will, turn to Romans, the fifth chapter. We ended with this verse last week, and we talked about uh, different things from the Bible, how God wants us to reign in life. And so Romans, the fifth chapter, we're going to look here at a verse of Scripture. There's other ones like this, but it says in Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's offense, and it's talking about the original sin of man, and the effect that sin has on all of humanity, and how, um, you know, even science has said, you know, man came from one man and one woman, all, all the people on the earth. Well, we know that from the Bible, and science has said that, that we're all linked, but there's a key to that. It says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. In other words, When Adam sinned, it spread through humanity. All the offspring of man, their spiritual nature is affected. And it says this death, and it's not just physical, it's spiritual death, which means the absence of God's life. That doesn't mean that you don't, are not alive spiritually or your spirit doesn't exist. Because one thing people need to realize about death is death is really never final when it comes to a person. You leave your body, you go either to heaven or to hell. There is those two locations. There is no place in between. You with me? And the place of heaven is not for perfect people, but people who have eternal life. Hell is made not for man. You know, a lot of people think, well, if God was, you know, a good God, why does he send people to hell and why did he make hell? The Bible tells us hell was made not for man. Hell was made for the angels that left their first estate and rebelled. It was never intended for man. But men will go there even though it wasn't God's design. And so God made redemption a plan put it in place for people to get everlasting life or God's life in them. And so here it says, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one or that one offense, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness or right standing will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. So here's an interesting thing. When a person gets saved, God wants them to reign in life. That is his ultimate goal. That doesn't mean it always happens. 
but it can happen. And, uh, you know, there are people who could live a long time in their Christian life and not live in victory. Or live a short time and start living in victory. And uh, so we're going to, I believe, talk about that today. And it's not on God whether we reign in life. It's up to us whether we reign in life if we cooperate with God or His design. And so if you'll open your Bible or turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to look at this about reigning because we're going to look at this from different things because we're going to talk about what can we reign over? How do we reign but as we're starting this series, I believe these things are super important and really the direction we need to go. Because everybody here who has given their life to the Lord has new life in their spirit. Not in their mind, not in your body, but you have one third of you has got the life of God. And, has, and you have, you should say this, a mandate on your life, God wants you to reign. He wants you to rule and reign. But could you live a long time without ruling and reigning? Or could you live a short time without ruling and reigning? Meaning, is it automatic? And could a Christian live their whole life and not rule and reign and then still go to heaven? The answer to that is yes. What we do here, uh, God has a design for Part of it is this subject here about reigning or ruling over certain things, circumstances, storms that come. Doesn't mean you can stop them all, but it does mean you can deal with them. And we talked about that last week. But this right here, this set of scriptures is uh, real interesting. And it's really talking about a group of people that by illustration, were saved, but they didn't reign and they didn't enter into God's best. So he wrote it so that we could avoid the obstacles and the pitfalls that caused them to not enter into God's best because God is a good God and he has good plans for you. But you need to realize this in your walk with God. There are going to be things that are going to come to try to uh, get you going a different way. And some of them may seem like, yeah, but that's really good to go this way. But inside, we know many times. I believe we can know all times with God. But notice this in 1 Corinthians 10.1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now he's talking about when the Egyptians, when they, uh, by God, were forced to let the children of Israel go. Bible scholars believe that even though it was a literal thing, it shows us what salvation looks like. In other words, they were under the rule of an evil master, and God brought them out. And that is really what salvation is. People may not realize, outside the Lord, they were under an evil master in this world. There are people out there right now, they don't realize they're under an evil master. They know life is unfulfilling. They know stuff is not right. 
And then, you know, like many of us, all of a sudden we come to know the Lord and we're like, whoa, there is something way different. There is something way better. And then you give your life to the Lord, you're released from that evil master. And this picture right here is that. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. It was a cloud of glory and power that followed them. And all were baptized into the sea. They all went through the Red Sea. And it says, and all of them ate the same spiritual uh, food, which they all had manna come down from heaven. It's all a type and a shadow of the manna we're to eat that comes from heaven, which is Jesus. And then we're to feast continually on the written word of God. And so here they are eating manna from heaven. And it says, and they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. In other words, remember Moses got in trouble and he couldn't go into the promised land. Anybody remember the story if you saw the Ten Commandments? Because he had a temper tantrum. And a lot of people say, wow, God was real harsh, you know, because he, he in front of the children of Israel hit the rock and then, and then hit the rock again. And he struck that rock that was supposed to give water once, and then he struck it again. Well, he was to only strike it one time and then speak to the rock, and then the rock would come. And people have been so confused and said, man, God was hardcore. No, no. He left a wrong example to all the children of Israel and everybody who would read for after, hereafter the Bible. It was hardcore. Because he gave a wrong image of Jesus to the world. You say, what do you mean? Jesus was the rock that followed them. Didn't it say that right after? For the, they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. See, Christ was only to be struck one time for the sins of the world forever. And then anybody who ever wants to take of Christ does not have to strike him again. He doesn't have to die again. All you have to do is say, be my Lord. And you start walking with him and his life comes in you. And what Moses did was strike that rock, Christ, once. Then strike him again. And Jesus was only to die once. So they see, well, is it that he has to be struck again and again to partake? No. One time. Then after, you just talk to him. You call on him. You talk to the Lord. The work is already done. Now the water can flow. And so this illustration here that he's going through is explaining really a picture or a pre-example of what salvation would look like. But notice verse 5, it says, But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. What became our example? Just like they had new life and new birth and they came out of bondage, God's plan was never for them to die in the wilderness. Never to be overcome in the wilderness. Never to live there for 40 years. God's plan was to get them out of Egypt and get them into the promised land, a land where it flowed with milk and honey, the 
canyons and hills drank of the rain of the water of heaven, they wouldn't have to, the Bible calls it a table or a flatland where they'd have to pump with their feet, like get a hose and walk down, you know, and not like a hose from Home Depot, but, you know, woven thing and then walk down it and push the water. They could just build a little canal and direct it to their, their fields and it would just rain and it would feed those things. And that hard toil and labor would not be the same. It, there would be work, but it would become very fruitful. And God wanted to get them to that land of abundance and a place of abundance. And it says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Verse 6 says, now these things became our examples. In other words, they came out of that land. God wanted them now, you know, what should have only taken a week or two, you know, to go from Egypt to get into their promised land. They're not entering in and they're not partaking of God's best, but it was not God who stopped them. It says, these things became our examples to the intent. Notice the intention here is that we should not lust. And I think sometimes when you hear lust, people can tend to think, oh, that's this. Lust just means strong desire. We should have strong desires. But lust literally means a strong desire towards something wrong. And that means when he said to the intent that we should not lust or allow our desires to grow strong for something that it shouldn't grow strong for. And it says lust after evil things as they also lusted or desired. And do not become uh, idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, but then they rose up to play. In other words, they did the God side, but then they had these idols in their life. Now, I can't tell you what an idol is in your life. You know, but, but people can have idols today, and I don't mean statues. You know, but some things that God will deal with us about in our lives, we can't allow it to govern us. The Bible talks about people, you know, Paul writing to a young minister said, you shouldn't be self-willed. In other words, you should learn how to get your will lined up with God's will. And when there's a struggle there of wills, you submit. Don't allow something to become bigger than God in your life. That's what an idol is, where you, you serve something. Now, you have to be careful because people can get legalistic here and think, well, you can't do this, you can't golf, for sure no golfing. I mean, if there's anything you can't do, it's golf. And fishing, you can't do that. And you, you, can't, you can't do this. And can't go to the beach because half the people are dressed funny there or not dressed, so don't, can't do that. And then it becomes a bunch of rules and that is not what God intended. I believe all the pleasures and things that people have in the world, whether it's a jet ski or something like that, I believe you can enjoy them. 
But there is a problem, if you're not careful, where they become an idol. In other words, it becomes where your will is and where your life is. God doesn't want that. And it's more than just that. Some people today, man, movies and TV is an idol to them. They know more about television programs than they do about the Lord. They've studied programs more than that. Well, is it okay to watch programs? Sure, I, I would assume if you're careful what you watch, as I think that some of the people behind what uh, is being developed and produced is they are not always good people, and so therefore they convey certain things, so you have to be careful. In other words, what is an idol? Anything that you worship, and worship literally means bow down to. So if I want to worship God, then I have to bow down to him. In other words, when he deals with me, do I bow to him or do I remain standing? Bow means to submit. So you can tell, and I would say this, if you're serving God and you're walking with God, he'll deal with you about something you're doing. And some people could golf their whole life and it not be an idol. And others, maybe not. And I'm not trying to point out those things, but I am saying... He gave this as an example from the time that the Lord died and rose until he comes back. I, idols are going to be something we're going to have to look out for. You with me? And then it goes on to say, nor let us commit sexual immorality. Which, sex is not bad in the confines that God wanted it. But sexual immorality... Um, is not what God wants. You with me? And I think that's pretty simple. You would do yourself a favor to keep yourself pure in those things. You, you with me? Somebody said, but I just want a man or I want a woman or whatever. Well, still do it God's way. You'll benefit. You with me? And we need to know this because you can't go watch a bunch of movies and they're not going to teach you that. You can't watch a lot of stuff, and they'll teach you that. And the danger there is then we start thinking wrong, and we may go, okay, well, it's okay to do that because everybody else does that. But there's a danger of not walking in God's best. You with me? These were written as examples for us. And I mean, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, some of the great TV programs that were on TV, like I Love Lucy, well, you may not think it's great. But, I mean, you think about it, the, the stars of that show were literally married. Meaning, Fred and, not Fred and Ethel, Ricky and Lucy. You could tell I'm a big fan. But, uh, but it's been years since I've seen it. But if you watch some of those old shows, they're married people, and in life, they did not sleep in separate beds. But when it came to TV, they were literally married, but they slept in separate beds because it was morality was at a different level in all of society. You wouldn't even have thought to think you would see two people in the same bed as actors, but these were actually literally married. And they didn't even do it. Because of the appearance of evil to society was like, you can't do that. 
You with me? So then they are in beds together, and then they're not married. I mean, not them, but other programs to where, you know, first date, you go out and commit sexual immorality. You cannot feed on that and think, well, it doesn't affect me. We said, well, then what do you watch? I don't know, get sock puppets and do that at home. Okay, it's your turn. No, I'm not saying that. Well, I did say that. But I'm not, I don't mean that. But the issue is, we have to be careful because is the world living in the best? If the Lord came back, it would not be a good program. And, and it's not an issue of, you know, God hates people. He doesn't. But we know back when uh, Noah was on the earth, the Bible talks about, and back when the Tower of Babel was, but when Noah was there, it said the people's thoughts and the imagination. What is, the, what is an imagination? It's how you picture and how you see things and how you inwardly play things out. It said the imagine of their hearts was continually evil. Do you know that the Bible said before the Lord returns it will be like the days of Noah? So we'll live in a world where the hearts are continually imagining and picturing, picturing evil. That's why stuff that would never be discussed before is openly discussed now. Because the imagination of people's hearts. And he said, here, we need to be careful. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Now let me make this statement again. I made it last week. Sometimes people think, well, yeah, I'm living perfect. I'm doing good. Therefore, I'm acceptable to God. Those people who are not, these Christians who are not perfect, are not righteous or not right before God. We read a verse last week where Paul said, I don't know anything in my life that's wrong before God. He said, but by this, I'm not made righteous. We read a verse when we started that right standing with God is actually a free gift. Nobody is going to be perfect in their Christian walk. Perfect enough to be righteous or whatever. But God has given us a free gift of right standing. So when we're talking about these things, you could have failed in the past miserably or been failing for years. Why would we want to adjust in these areas? Because he basically said these are the things that keep you from coming out of Egypt and getting into the promised land. Walking in God's best. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not accepted. Doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. Doesn't mean God doesn't have good things. He had good things for them. Man, they, they ate good stuff. They had water, manna. I mean, they had divine protection for 40 years. They were kept. They had remedies to things through God. But it still wasn't God's best. And I'm saying if we want to walk in God's best and reign in this life, we need to recognize, wait a minute, we need to be careful about sexual immorality. Notice this, it goes on to say, 
nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples that were, and they were written for our admonition or literally for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, verse 12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Notice what he's saying here. You need to pay attention to these areas because these are areas where people could fall. Now, I don't think you have to have a focus on the negative side, but it is interesting that these are some things that could hinder people from entering and walking in God's best on the earth. Now, I don't believe, now hear me, I don't believe God disqualifies you when you allow these things into your life. You actually have to allow certain thought patterns to come. You have to submit to a new way of thinking. And whenever we submit too far in certain areas, it can choke the word from producing the results God wants. Now, like I said, it's not an issue of perfection. But the word, and we'll look at this in a minute, needs to be non-choked, so to speak. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just come out and be saved. I want to enter into and walk in God's best. And notice this, it says, <clears throat> verse 13, no temptation, you could say a storm, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Sometimes when people face a storm in life, they think, I'm the only one who's gone through this. I'm the only one who's gone through this. And, the, and here the Lord said, no, these things are common to people in this fallen earth. But notice what he said, but God is faithful. Now he's talked about people trying to, or doing the wrong thing, but he said, listen, God's still faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now here's a problem with this verse right here because I've heard it quoted this, this way for years. And you can read something and not even hear what I'm saying. And you could hear it the way you've heard it. And so it's good to stop and explain. Notice, but, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it or stand up in that time of testing. I've heard it quoted this way. I heard a minister one time in a minister's breakfast ask the guy who was leading, he said, yeah, and he was discussing some stuff, and he said, yeah, but what about that scripture where God won't put on you more than you're able to bear? Because that's how most people have been taught. And so when they hear this verse, they think God put on them, but won't put on you more than you will bear. But it doesn't say God put anything on anybody. 
it says God will not permit to come against you more than you're able to bear. Remember in the Old Testament, it says when the enemy comes in like the, a flood, the Lord will raise a standard against him. In other words, there's nothing we face that we can't overcome and God would never permit. Even though we have authority to deal with things, he still won't let things come against you that can ultimately overpower you and take you out. But he also, though, will not leave you there. So if you want to enter into a, the full life in the Lord, it said he will make, also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or bear up under that situation. What is he saying? He will direct you in your life to come out and to enter into the best. Turn with me to Mark 5. How many have ever known, or Mark 4, that there is a better life in the Lord? We read about it in Scripture. God wants us to enter in, and we're talking about storms come, but he wants you and I to reign. And what I'm not teaching on is rules to be right with God. Because when you do that, you become self-righteous, and you think, well, I can't believe I ever did that wrong. Listen, people do stuff wrong all the time. And, but some people have their own measurement and think, if I do this many good things, then I'm good enough. No, you're, you're accepted because of Jesus. You with me? But we do want to guard our heart. Proverbs 4 tells us, guard your heart. Because out of it flow the parameters of your life or how you experience life. And so here in Mark 4, Jesus taught a parable, and we've looked at this at different times. But really, if you look at this parable in the light of it, from the beginning to the end, what he's really trying to teach is how to get saved or how to start your life and then become fruitful. Just like them. They came out and he wanted them to be fruitful and enter into his best. So he said, be careful of these things. But here he tells you why to be careful for certain things. Not because God's going to hate you and God's going to turn his head against you and say, I hate you. If there's anybody I don't like, it's you. That's not what it is. He's actually telling you Listen, if you do this, this will affect your own life. Did God hate Adam and Eve after they messed things up for all of humanity? Did he? No. His love toward them did not change. As a matter of fact, God approached them like he normally did. And uh, he said, where are you guys? Well, he knew where they were, but he was used to just going and talking to them. And they said... Uh, we were naked and we hid ourselves. Who told you you were naked? How do you know this? They didn't know that until up until that point. And it's interesting that God started trying to solve the problem they got themselves into. 
and all of a sudden now they know they're naked. They, now they're conscious of sin and guilt. It didn't come from God. It came because they got affected by doing wrong. God didn't condemn them and say, I hate your guts. I can't believe you did this. He said, listen, and he gave a promise of a savior. Even though man got themselves there. Sometimes people think that when you talk about wrong things that God now hates you. No. How many people's kids have done wrong, but a parent still loved them, but he didn't want to see what that would do to them and what it would affect and how it would affect their life. God is not some angry God up there. As a matter of fact, he put all penalty and all judgment upon Christ. But this, when he talks about these things, he's trying to explain that if you want to grow something in you, then you've got to be careful about certain things getting into your heart. You, you know, if you have a garden in your yard and you don't uh, take precautions to certain things, then other things can grow and choke things and it doesn't mean you hate your garden. It doesn't mean God's against you. It means there are principles and there are things that grow and you've got to be careful of because God wants you to come not just into salvation. He wants you to all of a sudden have the word of God bear full fruit and grow in your life until you can dominate through that word that grows in you. Notice Mark 4, 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So you could, by understanding this par parable, recognize there is an overlying principle to all the parables that Jesus shared, and it's this, sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. Now, what is the ultimate goal of planting seeds? This is pretty easy. Harvest, right? I mean, whether they're flowers, you want the harvest of bouquets of flowers, right? I mean... It, whether it's pumpkins or whatever, you don't just want green stuff growing and go, that's pretty neat. When you sow seeds, you plant them for a purpose for not just the initial, not the process, but what is brought forth. And that's what God's saying here. Notice, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown, which he called the seed, the word is sown when they hear Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their heart. These are people who are not wanting to go God's way, not wanting to accept what God says. And uh, the word gets preached to them and the enemy comes. Well, how does he come? Does he come with like a pitchfork? No. He comes, like the Bible said, subtly. And he'll whisper thoughts in people's heads and they'll go, ah, uh, that's a bunch of junk. And then the person goes, ah, uh, that's a bunch of junk. 
And what do they do? The word that was sown in their heart, they just throw it aside. In other words, the wayside person doesn't have a good attitude toward the word. To what God has to say. That's why it says with meekness or without arguing, accept the word of God. But notice this. It goes on to say, now I believe in our lives we will face these kinds of soil. And they're written like the other things are so we can navigate the soil and in a short time start getting fruit where the word grows in you and begins to produce something. Notice this, because God wants to take you from not just being saved, but walking in everything he has. That would be reigning in life. Notice this. These are the ones, verse 16, sown on stony ground. So wayside, now stony ground. Who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. So these guys, from here on out, are totally open and accepting what's being taught. But notice it calls it stony ground, and they have no root in themselves. So they only endure for a time. Well, what does he mean? Well, afterward, when tribulation or chest and trials come, or persecution, so in other words, hard times come, or people start talking about you for your walk with God. He said, arises for the word's sake. Notice why some tests and some trials come your way as a Christian. Why do they come? Because of you? No. They come because of the word. Because it's the word that produces fruit. But how many people, the minute they get into a test or a trial, the first thing they do is they pray to God and they go, God, what am I doing wrong? That this would come against me. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Oh, God, what am I doing wrong? No, you might be doing everything right. Basically, this person was doing everything right, except for they were deficient in sticking with it. And because it said it came for the word's sake. Somebody said, yeah, when I gave my life to the Lord, all of a sudden I got, it seemed like I got hit with all kinds of stuff. Anybody know that to be true? And it may not even be seen stuff. Well, what's the issue there? The enemy knows that that word gets in you and you stick with it. It's going to bear fruit eventually and produce something real. Beyond salvation. So it says here, these things come not because of you, but because of what you're doing is right. It says, notice, they have no root in themselves, verse 17, and only endure for a time afterward when tribulation, persecution, arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. They quit. 
you know the remedy for this ground? Actually, there's a remedy for the first ground. Just make your attitude right toward the Word of God. The second ground is this. Be determined no matter how hard it gets, I'm pushing. I'm sticking with it. If you do these things, basically all he's trying to do is say, listen, I'm trying to help you guys to bear fruit. Me too, but I mean you guys, who he wrote to then, but it's written for us. And he said this, after this is one thing, this is another thing you have to watch out for, because ultimately what he's trying to do is get 100% of everybody, whosoever will, to get to the final soil which will begin to bear 30, 60, or 100 fold. And so notice this, verse 18. Now these are, this is the third soil. Now these are the one sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares or the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Notice he didn't say Riches. He said the deceitfulness of riches. There's a big difference between riches because we're promised that if we approach these truths right here, we can walk in that type of thing. Right? Didn't the Bible say those who are rich in this life should be rich in good works, willing to distribute, willing to serve? In other words, didn't he say, Beloved, I would that you would prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers? Didn't it say those who are in Christ that the blessing of Abraham will come upon them and they'll be redeemed from the curse of the bad part of it? I mean, you can go, didn't he say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that the Gentiles seek would be added to you by God? So when he talks about riches... He didn't just say, be careful of riches. Didn't he tell the children of Israel and give them a clue to what deceitful riches were or the deceitfulness of riches? Because there's an inherency in riches that you have to be careful of. Remember, he told them, you serve me, you do this. I will totally bless every area of your life. And then he said, when I do, not if I do. When I do, he said, and he gave him a warning, be careful that you do not forget me. Because if you do, you'll end up back here in all this junk. That is the deceitfulness of riches. Saying, my power got me this, these things, you know, or this. And then they become, remember what one of the things were? In the other set of scriptures, they become an idol. They become what we trust in. See, you could have billions of dollars and not trust the billions. You could have millions and trust the millions. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, I've kept all the commandments from a child. And the Lord looked at him and was pleased. And he said, there's just one thing you lack. Sell all you have. Because remember, what are one of the Ten Commandments? No idols. No other gods before me. Why? Because it affects people's hearts. So Jesus was 
probing to the man's heart. And he said, give everything you have away. Then come and follow me. And then he didn't say you'll be without. He said, you'll have treasures. You'll have abundance. And what's interesting is it said in, he was sorrowful because he had many possessions. And it said he walked away from that day. And Jesus turned and said, how hard is it for those who not have riches, trust in them. Jesus was not trying to take, he didn't ask anybody else that. I mean, well, he did ask some people that, but not everybody did he ask. Remember the guy up in the tree? He called him down and said, hey, we're going to your house. Jesus never asked him to repay all the stuff he had taken that made him rich. He had such a change in his heart, it wasn't holding him. He said, here, I'm going to give back. So the Lord is not against riches. What he was doing is he told the disciples that guy trusted in riches. He trusted in it. Peter, I'm glad for some of the times he spoke up. This is one of them. He said, hey, Lord, we gave up all. He had a business he gave up to follow him. And he said, hey, there's nobody who will give up all that will not receive a hundredfold now in this life. The issue is not, do you have or do you not have? Is it an idol? And he said, be careful of the deceitfulness of riches or thinking, hey, if I get riches, I'm going to be fulfilled. Should, should you have riches? Does God want to take you further and further? He's totally fine with that. But there is a deceitfulness within riches you have to be careful of. How many people that have money think they're better than people who don't have money? I'll tell you what, when we all stand before the Lord, I don't care if you're the richest man in the world, you ain't coming with a fat wallet. And, and all that you thought made you better, you will just be gone. And then the thing that made a Christian right, if you thought your wallet did it, you're in trouble. So he said, be careful of the deceitfulness of riches. We should be able to think like money is not evil, but money has its place below God. You with me? It's exciting, isn't it? What's God trying to do? To take money from you? No. But he just wants you to know, listen, be careful of its place in your heart. Because why? This is one of the things, notice, cares of this world are worrying about the things. He, Jesus told us, don't worry about all the stuff they worry about. Seek me first and it'll be added to you. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires or the lust for other things entering in. Notice, chokes the word that you are receiving. And it becomes unfruitful. In other words, the word doesn't bear the fruit. What is God trying to do? We're trying to reign in life. We're trying to get from salvation to walking in his fullness. This is not trying to rob you in life. This is trying to get fruit in your life. Let's finish right here. Um, then it goes on, verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 
some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Basically, what he did right there is tell you how to start and get fruit. That's all he did. He said, now it's a process. You could say, I'm getting all the cares out of my life. No more idols. The Lord is first. And you start planting the word of God. You're not going to get a harvest today. The children of Israel, it's still, even though God brought them out, it still would take almost two weeks to get in. You with me? God's blessing is upon us. What we need to do to reign and live in a good place is we need to make sure our hearts are right with God in the sense that we're obeying the areas we know. And I'm not talking about setting up rules. But be careful of our motives towards idols and toward riches and so on because God's trying to get every believer not to be stuck at salvation. And I, and you, I say that we all want to experience salvation, live in its fullness, but become fruitful as believers and enter into the promised life that he has for us in the earth. You with me? God's for you. He wouldn't have told you how to do this if he wasn't for you. So that means you could have been stuck at sexual immorality for 20 years of your life. And say, why is the word not producing why is it not coming to this place? Why don't you adjust that area? It's not God withholding. The Bible said the Lord doesn't withhold. He told the Corinthians, he said, all things are yours. And they were doing all kinds of wild stuff. But he told them, you know, like this, you got to be careful because if you get it in your heart and you, the word in your heart, but you got this other stuff, it will choke it. You with me?